daybreak is a precious, precious time focusing on Jesus, his heart, what he's doing in this world. You know what? We had this discussion that if the whole point of God creating a physical realm, time, space, will, if the whole point of that was a bride for Jesus Christ, if it's all about this romance, why isn't it part of our lives? If, you, if I ask any Christian right now, do you feel it? Are, are you aware of this? Are you experiencing the romance between you and God? Not many of us says yes. As a matter of fact, we start talking about your first love and this yearning to spend time with your first love. The romance. We, we did a book, Pleased to Meet You, Lord. It was Angenome Kenes And so we asked people for their experiences of a certain characteristic uh, characteristic of God. And we found that there's a few characteristics of him that we've got this, this it's just like a bluntness, uh, a passivity that we, we I can't give you uh, an example of where I experienced that. And one, one of them was God's holiness. Um, and, and another one of it was, was the romance experience. If I had to tell you, just think back at this past week. Where did you experience it personally? And it wasn't there. It wasn't there. So we thought, okay, how come something that's that important, that's the actual point of it all, be something that's so muted in our lives? Um, especially when you start being a Christian for a while and you start experiencing a, a, a disconnect with God's heart. You know, you start doing this as a function and you go to church and you do the right things and, you know, but the beauty of it, the wow, the awe of it starts waning. And then you realize if it was still something romantic, you know, we wouldn't have lost that so easily. And the question came up, okay, how do you rekindle this romance? If, if, if it's... If it's so beautiful, then it's strategic. We need this. We need the romance to be rekindled. Okay, then we thought, okay, we better get into this. We get to find out what we're missing out on. And we started getting into ancient Jewish marriages. Because there's lots of correlations between ancient Jewish marriages and the way God did his relationship with the Jews, in other words, and in effect, with us eventually. Um, so let's go to that. Ancient Jewish marriages. Do you know, in those times, people weren't not married. They, uh, unmarried didn't happen, really, because they already made agreements. Marriage was like a contract. You bought a wife. That she was she was something to buy at that stage. You didn't win her over romantically. That's not how it worked. It was a contract, an agreement that happened when, when she was still young. Um, so that when you get to a marriageable age, you just go on to the next step. Uh, there was two parts to it. You became, in other words, betrothed. And that betrothal was when you had a, an agreement, a ketubah, they called it, an agreement, a wedding contract with conditions. And also at that stage, a bridal price. This all happened with the original, yes, I'm going to marry you. And by the way, you didn't just marry that lady. One family married another family. 
that's the context in which it happened. Just like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a family marries us, the bride of Christ, as the family of Christ. Very interesting, isn't it? So it was a commitment not just by two people, but with community, marrying community. Very interesting. Now, that agreement of conditions... You already recognize in how God became betrothed to Israel. So they get to the Mount Sinai, they've got Moses, and they get the law. That law was an agreement with conditions. But you can just see it as a law because we've got a religion and this is how God wants us to do life. And you can stop there or you can suddenly realize, oh my gosh, he is, he is getting betrothed to Israel. Don't know if you realize this, but we in this physical realm are betrothed to Jesus. We're not married yet. The marriage of the Lamb happens later. We are betrothed and we've got an agreement with conditions. They had the law. What do we have? We've got the Bible. You've got it there in your hand, black on white, written exactly like this is what I do. This is what you do. This is the results, you know, um, go the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28. This is life and death. Please choose life so that I can bless you. Please don't choose death. And then with, with, with um, disobedience comes consequences. The whole agreement of conditions, ketubah. And then there's the bridal price that happens at the betrothal. This one's got a name. It is paid by the father of the groom to the father of the bride, and it's called the mohar. The mohar. Now, it could have been paid in cash, but not necessarily. It could also be paid in kind or in service, in time, in effort. That was how the bridal price was paid. Remember when Jacob worked for Laban, seven years for Rachel, seven years for Leah? That was bridal price. He worked in time, in service, to win them over. Also, when um, Abraham's servant went to get a bride, Rebekah, for Isaac, he gave them, the, the family and the bride's father, That he gave them um, all kinds of precious whatever gold and whatever that he gave him at that, at that stage. That was mohar. It was the bridal price um, at the betrothal. She hadn't even met her husband yet, but that thing had to be in place for it to happen. So I asked myself, what is, what is the mohar? What did God the Father pay for me to marry Jesus? And the beauty of that is that he paid everything. You know that scripture so well. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He didn't just give a little bit of treasure out of his lots of treasure. He gave his biggest treasure. He gave his son. To me that is an indication of how serious he is about this relationship that we're talking about today. Have you ever seen it that way? Not only that Jesus died for your sins, but that is part of a bride price. Then there's a second half. The bride price is paid at the betrothal, but that's only the first part of the ceremony and it happens earlier. Then you've got the marriage itself. 
By the way, the, that betrothal is organized by the father. So just like God the Father did it, it was done in that way as well. And then what happened at the betrothal is you say, yes, I'm going to marry you, and then both go home. So the lady goes and she prepares herself to get married. Just like the word says, we are preparing ourselves to be married to the Lamb. And Paul, how Paul says that's his job is to prepare the bride to be married to the Lamb. So that's her part in it. We prepare ourselves. This is why we do life. When you go through these terrible things and and character is being formed, all of that is you, bride, preparing yourself to marry the lamb. But the lamb, the man in the relationship, goes home. And so what they did is he doesn't go build his own little house. He goes and adds onto his parents' house. All new, newly married couples go and they live in their parents' home, but they build an extra pot. And this is what he goes. He goes and prepares a place to bring his bride home, right? And just and Jesus says exactly the same. Have you read it in the scripture where he says, I go home to prepare a place for you, to prepare a, because I'm his bride. He is busy doing that. And also, I love... How involved he is in this whole process. Not only does he give his own life, die on the cross for me, but he sits there next to the Father praying for you. It's like his whole heart is turned to you. Did you realize that? Uh, his whole heart is, is busy praying for you, preparing you, giving the angels um, uh, uh, orders to what they have to do to get, get you and move you and put everything in place, looking forward to you. What does that scripture say? That while he was hanging on the cross, he despised the shame for the joy set before him. That was what he was. You are that joy. It's all about the romance. Okay, that is just the betrothal. Now they're going to get married. Fullness of time. And now what happens is the whole community, it's like a whole session, a procession of people. They all come and they bring the bride and they give her to the bridegroom. And he takes her into the house and then the marriage is consummated. Now there is where the next step happens. Now the the um, the bridegroom gives the second half of the payment. It's called a matan. It's the Hebrew word for gifts given by the groom to the bride. All right. This is very exciting because there's so many gifts given by Jesus besides himself, Matthew 20, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was the bride price, this, not the bride price, the uh, matan as well, the, the bride gifts, the one he gives to you. He firstly gave himself. But have you ever seen the gifts of the spirit as matan, as Jesus giving you his bride gifts of marriage that to me is gorgeous because i've never seen it that way read 1 corinthians 12 you always know if you're talking about the gifts of the spirit you go to 1 corinthians 12 it says now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good to one there is given the spirit um, the message of wisdom to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit 
the gift of healing by that spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, another speaking in different kind of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, I've always stopped at this thing, okay, this is for the edification of the bride, isn't it? But what if it is matan? It's called the gifts of the spirit. What if while you're ministering, so uh, God has given you tongues. So you're speaking in your tongues. Have you ever seen it as a romantic gift from Jesus to his bride? What if you're flowing in prophecy? What if you were healed? You've received the healing on your side. What if it's not just healing? What if it's your bridegroom gifting you with matan? Isn't it the most gorgeous thing? It's a reminder that I'm in this because I want to marry you. This is what Jesus said. I'm betrothed to you. I'm promised to you. And remember, betrothal at that stage was just as final as marriage. You literally had to be divorced from a betrothal even before you got to marriage. That's how serious is, Jesus is about you. I'm wondering if w- when, when we pray for something and you receive the answer to prayer, have you ever seen it as a romantic act? I haven't. I didn't. And if I'm praying for God to rekindle this romance in my heart, to rekindle my first love, then the first thing he did was show these things, was to show you take these as part of religion, as part of, you know, just normality as a Christian. But it's more. It's more. It's him saying, I'm giving to you. This is a wedding gift. Even your salvation is part of it. It's called a gift of salvation in Ephesians 2. For by the grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is a lot happening in everyday life of a Christian. That's part of the romance between you and God. And it's something that we can miss if it's not shown to us. If it's, if it's something that just happens in life as normal and we do it as religion and we don't see it. Every time that we talk, we say it is, it's, um, this is a relationship. But it's more than just a father-son relationship or a friendship relationship that we're talking about. We're not his servants, we're his friends. We are his promised Bride, And I know guys, sometimes it's hard for the guys because, you know, we don't want to be the woman in the relationship. But that's not the point. The point is the, is the emotion behind their relationship, is the commitment. When Jesus say, when he says, I'm committed to you, he did it until death. He was hanging on that cross. And you can't hang on a cross with arms closed and protecting yourself. When you hang on a cross, you are exposed. Misty has got this one song where she says, this is what love is, is hanging, is, is arms exposed, heart exposed, arms open wide, holding nothing back. He held nothing back. That's the way he romances you every single day. Every day where you go and you do the work that is given you, that work is a gift it's a wedding gift. 
every day you've got someone who loves you. You can't take it for granted anymore, not in this life that we live. If you have a marriage and a husband that still loves you after all of these years, if you have the opportunity to serve others, every opportunity to serve, according to Ephesians 2.10, as a gift was prepared in love, in detail, for you to walk in those good works, was a gift. Did you see it as a romance gift? So let's, let's see it for what it is. Because I'm yearning for more in this relationship. I don't just want to feel it's another day and this is normal. It's not normal to have a relationship with the king of the universe. What does Psalm say? What is man that you think of him, that you tend to him? What is man? Who are you? Who am I? And yet, just like the king um, turned to Esther and he chose her out of all of those thousands of women who were prepared for a whole year, each of them, all of them gorgeous. He goes and stops time, stops the world, zooms in on you. It's like Hagar, this Egyptian slave, where he sees her. He'd, it's like the whole world around fades and you focus in on your woman, on your man, the, the intensity of that love. That is the way he does life. Everything is with everything in him. And then we say, we're going to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our mind, all our strength. It just doesn't imply half-heartedness. So if you're fighting yourself today, and when you think of God, it doesn't evoke any kind of intensity or any kind of passion. Um, it doesn't stop your world because it's, it's been there for such a long time. And when we look at new Christians and that beauty of their passion and their new heart and, and, and even David having followed him in the Old Testament, even when he wasn't in, dwelled by the Holy Spirit, he said, Lord, renew in me a new heart and new, re, uh, 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 restore a right spirit within me. There's, there is this thing that we get to a place where we need to be renewed and we need to be restored. But uh, what I'm praying for this morning is that we'll have a brand new perception of how romantically, how soppy our God is about us so that we can be soppy about him as well. So that when we worship, it's from a heart that's brimming over with love, real love, experienced love. I'm not saying let's go, uh, you know, we're looking for the experiences. Some of that gets very flaky if that is all that you're looking for. But there can't be nothing. There can't be just apathy. And just same old, same old. There has to be a spark, something precious because he's God and because he's chosen you. So, God, I want to ask you if you will go and, and, and grab our hearts again. Will you capture our imagination again? Will you restore this, this just perception of the romance that we don't miss it anymore that we don't see this as just another day but a day that you spend time with me and I can spend time with you. Will you restore the fascination, a curiosity for you? I mean if we betrothed we must want to get to know you better, not because it's the right thing, because you're you and we're in love with you. Restore the in lovedness, Lord. We want 
more. We want to be like those living creatures around your throne who can't stand upright because they're that wild with what they see, Lord. I don't want to be used to you. God, we can't be used to you. Not if you God. And I pray that you will restore the spark so that when we get up in the morning, we're looking forward to this day, doing it not only with you, but the adventure of it with you, so that your opinion will once again be paramount. Will you restore that urgency to get into your presence? That we don't just postpone it to tonight because there's no urgency, because we're not in love anymore. God, restore our, restore our passion. We need it so that we can love you the way you should be loved and honor you and and worship you the way you deserve to be worshipped because there's more lord show us the more wow us get us back on our knees truly sincerely back on our knees so that so that when we pray that connection is restored god we need that that honest to goodness, undiluted, unfiltered connection with you so that, so that our hearts will yearn for you like a deer yearns for the morning, Lord. Like the watchman on the wall can't wait for the morning so he can see better. <laughs> we want to be like that. And we pray that your will be done, that your kingdom will come in that way in our hearts again so that we will know you for who you are we want more lord in the name of jesus christ amen